If you do not remember any other lesson that I teach, don't forget what I'm going to teach here tonight. Don't forget it. This is one of the most important Bible lessons that you'll ever hear. And uh, I don't mean because I'm teaching it, but simply because of the subject matter. And uh, my subject, when you get the handout, you'll see it there, how Jesus changed the world. How Jesus changed the world. And when Jesus came, he changed the world differently than it had ever been before or known to be like it was. I'm going to give us a little uh, image here where we can see it. This is what you're looking at. How Jesus changed the world. And uh, I'm going to start here by talking to you a little bit about Jesus' earthly ministry, when Jesus came, he taught things that were hard to be understood sometimes. And people did not understand how it was that Jesus was teaching what he was teaching. And they found, they found it sometimes hard to get a hold of. And I'm going to talk to you here about Jesus' earthly ministry. And it was primarily to Israel. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures to show you that. That when Jesus came in his earthly ministry, it was to Israel. And I'm the first verse of scripture that I'm going to refer to here <clears throat> is the one that's found in Matthew 15, 24. And I'm going to read two verses of scripture, Matthew 15, 24. And then also the one next to it, which is uh, Matthew 10, 5 and 6, where my pen there is pointing to. So I want to read these verses to you here and get, sort of get this started here and talk to you about it. I've got some interesting things to show you here in the, this lesson here tonight. Uh, and in Matthew chapter 15, 24, Jesus simply says this, but he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I am not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then in... Uh, Matthew uh, 10, when he sent out the 70 to the, the 12, rather, to evangelize and to preach the gospel, that's his 12 disciples. Chapter 10, verse 5 These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So I'm pointing out to you here that Jesus's earthly ministry on this earth when he came was primarily to Israel. And if you go to the second part of this, uh, number one to A, after the rejection of Israel, that is they rejected him as the Messiah and he was crucified on the cross and shed his blood and so forth and died and rose again. Uh, after the rejection of Christ, he turned to the Gentiles. And the Bible bears this out. If you look at Matthew 28, 19, Matthew 28, 19, this is the same uh, disciples that, G except Judas is carried, of course, the same disciples that Jesus had sent originally saying, just preach to the Jews only. Now here's what he says in Matthew 28, 19, go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which we know the name is Jesus, and that's what they did do. 
they absolutely did it that way. In verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So notice here at the very beginning of 19th verse, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing, all nations. Now, Mark says the same thing in a different, little different way. Jesus, Mark records what Jesus said in a different way, I should say. And this is Mark 16, 15. Mark 16, 15. This is the next verse of scripture that we have there under A there. Mark 16, 15. And I'm going to read the two verses, 16 and 17. Uh, I'm going to read 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe, and my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues. That is, the speaking in tongues when you receive the Holy Ghost. So he said, this is what's going to happen. Notice here again, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So Jesus, after his resurrection, uh, he began to tell his disciples, now go into all the world and preach the gospel. Not just to the Jews, now we've done all the world. I'm going to go a little bit further on and also go to uh, Luke there. Luke chapter 24, <clears throat> 46. And he said unto them, it is written... And thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. 47th verse. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So I'm just pointing out to you here, these are verses of scripture that says that Jesus, after his resurrection, the ministry was to go into all the world and was to go to all the Gentiles. Okay. This is how it was going. Now, number two here, I'm going to get to the meat of our subject here and talk to you about some things here. What Jesus brought to the world was the manifestation of God's love. Now, I'm going to show you here with Scripture that Jesus brought something that the world was not familiar with. They were familiar with uh, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, life for life. They were familiar with uh, if somebody slaps you on one cheek, you slap him back. You know, if somebody does something to you, you get even with them. It's just about the way the whole world operated, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Jesus brought something different and something new, folks. And what he brought, he changed the world. He changed it. He changed it uh, with among the Gentiles because the Jews rejected what he brought but going among the Gentiles, he changed the world and turned it upside down. And that's why the Christianity is in all the world here today, because of what Jesus brought. And it's, it's up to us, and we'll talk more about us here in a little bit, how the church, that this is the most powerful thing the church has, is what Jesus gave us above everything else. I'm going to talk to you about it and show you that we ourselves can do that. And so... If you look at number two here, Jesus brought the world, what Jesus brought to the world was a manifestation of God's love. Uh, we're all familiar with this verse of scripture, but turn to John 3.16. John 3.16, this is one that all of us are three are familiar with. And uh, most, many of you, or most of you could just quote it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave, and I could stop right there. 
And that's a, that's a message within itself. God so loved the world that he gave. And God's love for the world prompted God to give, 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 and give. And everything about Jesus was giving. When Jesus came, it was all about giving. And he was giving and he loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave. And then it goes on to say here, and specifically, his only begotten son, God did not die on Calvary. Jesus was God Almighty manifest in flesh. God did not die on Calvary. It was the man Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ was all God and all man. He was God manifested as man. The man died on the cross. The man suffered and bled and gave the price. That's why Jesus hung on. And I was just talking to a guy today in another part of our state that was asking me some questions on the phone. I was on the phone with him. And it's, it's what Jesus said when he was on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's because the man, Christ Jesus, the spirit had lifted and the father, the spirit, God Almighty had withdrawn from the man and the man died on the cross. And what he was saying here, my God, my God, Eli, Eli, Lamech, Sabachthani, that's, that's the way it was pronounced, that it was in Hebrew. And he, that's what he said on the cross. And that comes from Psalms 22.1. And Jesus, it's Psalm 22.1, you can look it up sometimes. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's written in the pure Hebrew. When Jesus said that on the cross, he was speaking pure Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic back then in the New Testament. And they thought he was, they didn't know what he was saying. They were saying, he calls for Eli, he calls for Eli because of the way that the, the Hebrew language was saying it. I won't go any further with that. Only to say that Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, came and he came to suffer and bleed and die and for the world. So he, uh, he loved the world. Jesus died on the cross and so forth. And uh, the two greatest commandments of the New Testament, I want you to look at number A here. The two greatest commandments of the, of the Old Testament is all found in Mark 12 and 28. Turn to Mark 12, 28 with us for just a moment. Let me show you something. I'm gonna read a little passage of scripture here for it to you. Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. That's the physical part of us. This is the first commandment. And then Jesus never stopped there. The man only asked the greatest commandment, but Jesus never stopped there. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandments greater than these. Notice here, Jesus said, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's, that's our first love. That's the love of God in us. That's what God gives us, folks, in the Holy Ghost. He gives us a love for him, and we love God. We praise and we worship him. But also, he gives us that second commandment, our love for our fellow man. He gives, he puts that love in us. People that you once didn't like, and now you love them. It's the way the cross is. The cross is vertical and horizontal. Jesus hung on the cross like this. And that love of God is vertical first, 
and then it's horizontally. We have the vertical love of God, we can have the horizontal love of God as well. We, that's what we have to have, to have the horizontal. So it reaches out to all the world, and Jesus was telling that to this man. Now, uh, this is what the man said in verse 32. I'm still reading here in Mark 12. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him, verse 33, and to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. Notice what this man said. We're talking about the entire Old Testament. The Old Testament had 813 laws, 813 Thou shalt, thou shalt not do, you know, things that, that, Moses, that God gave Moses to give the children of Israel. And they're all wrapped up in these two commandments, these two commandments. If you've got that, you've got the Ten Commandments. If you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you fulfill the first four of the Ten Commandments. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you fulfill the last six, starting with honor your mother and father. You know, that's the fifth commandment. And then all the rest of them on down. Don't kill, don't steal, don't bear false witness, don't commit adultery, and so on and on. It's loving your neighbor as yourself. So this is where th that this man began to perceive this. To love his neighbor as himself is more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. In the Old Testament, the purpose of burnt offerings and those sacrifices was to come to God because they had sinned. They had committed sins, they had done acts of sins, and these were things that they did for God to grant them forgiveness for their sins. And so this is why they were, but if there were none of those sins, there was no more need of the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus died on the cross, that was the final, last, and all sacrifices for all sacrifices forever. The shedding of his blood, that took care of everything else. And all we have to do then is come to Jesus Christ and everything else is fulfilled through him. I'm gonna just finish this up and wrap it up here. So, uh, verse 34, and when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is the church on earth. That's the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus brought. The kingdom of God on earth is, is the church. It's, it's the church. It's not the building. It's the people. It's God's people on this earth. That's his kingdom. He said, my kingdom does not come with observations, but it shall be within you. It's within us. He said, and he said, thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And boy, when he said that, nobody then, look what the next line says, and, not, and no man after that durst ask him any question. In other words, they had a mindful, they had, the eyes were bulging, they had I mean, they were, they were thinking, well, wow, this is powerful. And what Jesus was simply telling them, if you can ever learn and take and lock on to the love of God in your life and get that love in your heart, praise the Lord, you're going to fulfill everything else that the Jews struggled with and tried to keep and had a battle with and fought to keep and so forth all through the Old Testament. That's what the New Testament is all about. And that's what Jesus came to bring. He tried to bring it to the Jews, but they rejected it because they wanted to stay with that Old Testament law and doing all the ritual things that they had to do. Now, let me give you one other verse of scripture here to, 
show you that what I'm saying to you is absolutely the truth. Look in Romans 14, 7 for just a moment here. 14, 7, 17, I mean, 14, 17. Romans 14, 17. Well, I got to it. Where is it? Yeah. Okay, here we go. And here, this is a simple verse. For the kingdom of God, that's what we've just been talking about. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. That is the Old Testament and all the things that they had to do. But righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So folks, if you've got the Holy Ghost and you've got his peace and you've got his joy and you've got the righteousness, that's the kingdom of God on this earth. And that's what we'll have. And when Jesus comes back, he's coming back for those, praise the Lord, that's, that's part of that kingdom. That's why Jesus said that, uh, that gates, the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. Upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And after 2,000 years, the church is still going on, the kingdom of God on earth, praise the Lord. Amen. How people are still getting saved and people will continue to get saved because God has ordained it. And I'm going to move on here uh, because I want to talk to you here about something. Thus, see, thus, uh, Jesus changed the world by loving people. And folks, I'm going to tell you that's where it stands right there. That's the most powerful thing that Jesus gave us as a church was to learn to love people. And sometimes we have, some of us have come to the Lord. I don't know if in this church, but somewhere, I mean, in God's people all over. And they've been filled with all kinds of malice and hatred and bitterness and everything else. And when God gets through working on their hearts and giving him his spirit and his love and his grace and his goodness, amen, that whole thing is changed and they love, praise the Lord. It causes you to love your enemies. It'll cause you to love people that you thought you'd never be able to love because God's love is, folks, is what will change the world. And the church has been able throughout the ages to change the world because uh, of the love of God. Praise the Lord. And it was the love of God that came our way, each of us as individuals. It was God's love through somebody to us that helped us to come to God and be saved. Thank God that there was a pastor up in a little Niceville, Florida up there that went to a little town like that and started a church, became the pastor there and had a love for people that I came to that church one night and got saved. Thank God for the evangelist, Brother Rooks in Miami, who was evangelizing at that time with his wife. They loved God enough that they came to that little church and they had a little revival there in that little old small church. And I and, a, and a hand, about a handful of us young people came to the altar and got saved, got filled with the Holy Ghost. And God just changed our life and turned us upside down. And every one of us have an experience like that. But it was all based on the love of God. And we can't lose that. Are you listening to me? Don't lose what we have gotten, what God has given us. It's the most powerful thing in the gospel is that love that Jesus gave us toward others that will cause us to do the things that we need to do in order that others might be saved. Praise the Lord. I'm going to give you some examples on that. Thus, Jesus changed the world by loving people. This is part C here. Now, I want you to go to this one. Jesus' Jesus's examples of God's love. I'm going to go with the one the woman caught in adultery. I've got some interesting things to show you. Uh, turn to John 8, 3. John 8, 3. 
Praise the Lord. You women, hang on to this one. Hang on to it. Look at this. John 8, 3. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman caught in adultery. And when they set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? They were trying to put the B on Jesus. They knew that he did not have the legal authority in, in Israel under the Roman Empire, under the Roman Empire's domain. He did not have the authority to say, yes, stone her to death. He didn't have any authority to do that. No Jews had no authority because they had no authority to take anybody's life. And of course, they only did it with Jesus because Pilate gave him the, the authority and said, you know, take him and crucify him. But normally they had no authority to do that. And I can show you scripture on that, but I won't go any further. Now, where's the man? You ladies listen to me. Where's the man? They drugged the lady up there, but no man. There's a man involved somewhere, somebody. And they dragged this one woman up there and said, she's caught in adultery. And she, you caught her in adultery in the very act. What about the guy? And they drug her up there and said, okay, according to Moses' law, she's to be stoned there. What about him? Yeah, there, there's, that's the word of God. It says that. Look in, uh, I think it's Deuteronomy 22, 22. Look at Deuteronomy 22, 20, 20, chapter 22, verse 22. I think it says that. I, I hope I do. I'm hoping I'm right on this. If a man be found lying with a woman married to a husband, if a man be found lying with a woman, married to a husband, then they shall both of them die. Is that under the law? That's in Deuteronomy. Then they shall both of them die, both the man and that lay with the woman and the woman. So shalt thou put away evil from Israel. It says, it's talking about, it's talking directly more to the man than the woman here. Look in Leviticus 20, in chapter, in verse 10, chapter 20, in verse 10. It says about the same thing. I'm just shooting from the hip here. I think I'm right. Uh, Leviticus uh, 20 and 10. I know I put those people on the spot. God love them. They, they got the paper up where it and they got scriptures, but I can put them up. There we go. And the man that committed adultery with another man's wife, even he that committed adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Okay. But it's the man involved too, Right. Incidentally, while you're there, this is for free, and I won't say no more about it. But look at the 13th verse. If you're at 10th verse, go to 13. If a man also lie with mankind, that's man with man, you got it? As he lieth with a woman. Both of them, both men, have committed an abomination. If a man also lie with another man, as he lieth with a woman. Both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood should be upon them. You know what that is. I won't go any further. But it's all, in the, it's all in back in the Old Testament. Now, what I'm simply trying to say here to you about this woman caught in adultery, well, they bring her up there, but nowhere is he found. And they want Jesus to say, he does without stone, let him, you know, now it's time to stone. What do you say? They try to put him on the spot. All right, everybody still with me? I didn't lose you there anywhere. That, all right. 
All right. Uh, verse 6. This they said, tempting him, that they might have a, a, to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground, and though he heard, as though he heard him not. He just, he just he, the woman's laid on the ground. They're all gathered around. Jesus knelt down and began to write in the sand. Somebody said to me, what did he write? It doesn't say. But maybe he started writing the Ten Commandments. Or maybe he started writing the do's and don'ts that he knew that the people standing around were guilty of. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know what he was writing. But Jesus knew all men's hearts. So maybe he started saying, you know, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, what, you know, and all the things that possibly they were doing. The, the people standing around the woman. And it says, it goes on to say here, uh, verse 7, and when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast a stone at her. Anybody want to cast a stone at her now? Go ahead. He that's without sin, go ahead and cast a stone. Verse 8, and again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He went back to his writing on the ground as though their little old trivial thing that they were doing didn't mean anything to him. Now, and they which heard it being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one beginning with the eldest. The eldest, that's the oldest one because he probably had more, uh, what do you want to call it? He had more stuff in his hopper, more garbage. And he said, I know I got some stuff in my life to the least. I'm just adding all that, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Notice that. Neither do I condemn thee. Jesus forgave her. He forgave and he had all the right to do it. He had all the right to do it because he was God Almighty manifest in flesh. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn thee. I'm trying to show you here that Jesus was showing mercy to a sinner that a bunch of guys was ready to see how somehow or another her punished severely for it. They knew they couldn't kill her. I don't know what they thought Jesus would say about it. But he says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And uh, I just want to point out something to you here that the Lord, praise the Lord, also added, go and sin no more. In other words, don't just go back to where you were living, but now you've been forgiven. Don't go sinning anymore. Leave it all behind. Now, that's what we do when we come to Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. We say, God, forgive us of our sins. That's how we're baptized. All of our past sins are all washed away. Thank God for all of that. Hallelujah, Jesus. God infills us with his spirit so that his spirit comes in us to give us the power to live for God a clean and righteous and holy life in this life until Jesus comes. He gives us that power to do that. And he wants us to walk with him and go and sin no more. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So don't go back to the world. Don't go back and pick up that old garbage out there that you ever left behind, laid down. You know, 
Everybody's got some garbage back there they laid down and left behind. Leave it there. Leave it there. Leave it all in Egypt. Praise the Lord. We're looking for Canaan's land, the one up there, heaven. The new Jerusalem, praise the Lord, the new one. Amen. God has prepared for us. Amen. Well, so much for that. Praise the Lord. The woman caught in adultery, the God forgave her. And the Lord taught us to love uh, the sinner, but you don't have to love the sin. Love the sinner, but don't love the sin. Praise the Lord. So we can love sinners, but don't love the sin. We had a lady, uh, one of the sisters in our church one time brought a couple of ladies in, our old, in the old church when we were down there and I was pastoring uh, these two ladies in the church. And uh, they, uh, after, at the end of the service, uh, she said to me, these two women are lesbians, they want to talk to you. I said, okay. And they said, uh, so they came up and they spoke to me, these two women said, would you be willing to come to our house and visit us? I said, I'll be glad to do so. I'll see you next Tuesday or whatever it was. And so anyhow, I made arrangements and I went to their home and everything, very little humble shack, little shacky house that they lived in and everything. And uh, anyhow, they were, they said, we want to know this. This is our big question. We, I went to the living room, sat down, they were sitting there. Can we be saved? And I said, yes. Folks, anybody can be saved. Anybody can be saved. I said, yes but not stay in the lifestyle you're in. Did you hear what I said? Not stay in the lifestyle you're in. Well, that's what we wanted to ask if we could, you know. And then they said, we were born this way. I said, no, you weren't. You were introduced to it somewhere in your background and you know when it was. And that one lady spoke up and says, you're right. You're right. I know when it was with me. I know when it was with me. And the other one says, well, I was, I was born with it. I said, no, no, you weren't. I said, somewhere in your life you were introduced to it. You might have been when you were a child. I said that just off the cuff. And when I did, she blinked her eyes, and I knew that I had hit it. Somewhere, I said, somewhere about you. It might have been when you were a child. She blinked her eyes, and she never denied it anymore, everything. And... Finally, that one that blinked her eyes, she finally said, well, I can't change. The other one said, I'm willing to change. I'm willing to go straight so that I can be saved. The other one said, well, I'm not. I said, well, it's up to you ladies. If you want to be saved, you feel free to come to church. Come to the altar. We'll pray for you. God will fill you with his spirit. And we'll baptize you in Jesus' name. God will wash away all your sins. They never came back for six months. Six months later, they came back to church. And the one that had said to me, I would change and I would like to get saved. She, she had developed cancer and was dying. And they asked me, said, can she come down and be prayed for? I said, absolutely. And along with several other people, they came, she came down to the altar and stood there. And I went down as I walked down the steps to go down with oil to anoint her with oil. God gave me the words to say to her. Just like that. And I knew that if her answer was right, God would do the healing work for that woman right there. She had been healed of cancer. I believed it with all my heart because God had dealt with me once before on a situation back up in the panhandle of Florida when I prayed for somebody and they were healed instantly, instantly healed. And uh, I saw, I walked down those steps and I walked up to her. I said, do you want to be prayed for or do you want to be healed? That's what I asked her. 
And she looked at me and her eyes got big and she never said a word. It seemed like for two minutes, she just looked at me. She knew what I meant and she knew what the answer had to be. If you want to be healed, you know what you got to do. If you want to be prayed for, yeah, I'll pray for you. So I said, do you want to be healed or do you want to be prayed for? She looked at me for a while and then she said, I want to be prayed for. And I knew that she'd given it up right there. She said, I can't, I can't fight. I can't fight against this evil that's got a hold of my life. I said, all right. I laid hands on her and I prayed for her, asked God to heal her body. Six months later, she was dead. She had died. She had died of cancer. But she could have been healed. And I'm trying to tell you here today, folks, that God loves people. And he wants people to be saved. And we have to reach out to them. To them, not loving their sins, but loving the sinner. God help us as a church to love sinners. To reach out to the world. First of all, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Love them. And the Bible gives us a lot of instructions on that. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. But even the sinner out there, we've got to love them. Amen. Love them. But they have to come out of the sin. Don't love their sins, but love them and reach out to them the best we can. But keep your feet on solid ground. Somebody's drowning out there. Throw them the buoy. Hold the rope. Stay on solid ground. Pull him in. Somebody's in quicksand. Amen. Stay on solid ground. Hand him a long pole. Praise the Lord. But stay on solid ground and pull him in. As long as we stay in the church, as we stay solid in the faith, we can help others to come to the Lord and be saved and have this wonderful love of God and this righteousness and the hope of heaven. Folks, Jesus is coming soon. The Lord's coming soon. Praise the Lord. We have that hope in our life. I'm going to move on here. <coughs> I want you to go to John 4, John chapter 4 for a moment. And uh, this is, uh, <clears throat> let me see if I can find it here. This is where Jesus, this is a very interesting verse of scripture here. Verse 3, this is 4 and 3 of St. John. He, Jesus, left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Look at that verse of scripture. He must needs go through Samaria. The reason that that verse says that he must go through Samaria is because Jesus said to his disciples, I have got to go through Samaria. Now, why is that such a big deal? What's, all about, what's that all about? Let me show you here why that was a big deal. That was a big deal too. I'm going to put this little map up here. This is a map of Palestine. And uh, this is the Mediterranean Sea here. This is Jerusalem where I got the arrow pointed right here. And this is the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River flowing. It flows above the Sea of Galilee, into the Galilee, and then flows south right on down through, the, uh, through this land and then into the Dead Sea down here. Now, you, you know that. You've seen the map many times. Now, whenever the Jews traveled... Because Samaria was half Jew and half Gentile, and they were on the outs with the Jewish people. The Jews would not travel through Samaria when they went from Judea here up into Galilee up here. This is Galilee. And they would come here. Sometimes they'd cross over into Perea and go over up and then cross over. 
or sometimes they'd follow a road. There was a road that would go right down through here, and incidentally, that road's still there, only it's not a dirt road anymore, it's a paved road. But that road to follow that on that west side here, and then you get along just away from it, and then this was all mountainous and high elevation. This is where the Palestinians are even to this day. And the Jews traveling still go around this area. Now, that was the area that the Jews, when they traveled from Judea to Galilee back and forth, they would always go up along the Jordan River back and forth and never go straight through it. But Jesus said that day, he was leaving here, going to Galilee. He said, I have needs to go through Samaria and particularly the city of Samaria. This is why that he went that way. And this is what that scripture was referring to. Let me uh, show you here now what the Bible says here. I'm going to read these verses of scripture here to you. Here in this uh, verse 5. Look at this 4-5 of St. John. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey and set thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, the sixth hour in the Hebrew clock time equates to between 11 and 12 a.m., late, late morning. Everybody with me on that? And it was about the sixth hour or between 11 and 12 o'clock in the, in the daytime morning. Seven, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And, she, and Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. Number one, it was unusual for women to go to the well that late in the day. They always went early in the day to get their water so they could do their, start their cooking and get their household going and so forth like that. And they would gather around that well and these women would talk to each other and chat and chatter and so forth like This woman came late. I'll show you the reason why she came late in a little bit. But she was there on a late hour. That cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water and Jesus to give me to drink for his disciples were gone away in the city to buy meat. And then said the woman to, of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou being a Jew asketh what drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living waters. I won't get into the details about the message that Jesus gave her about him having the living waters and so forth. I want to stay with the subject that I want to bring out to you here about his compassion for her. Look at verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband and come hither. Notice that. The woman answered him and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and the, he whom thou, ha, thou now hast is not thy husband, and that sayest thou truly. In other words, Jesus knew all about her. You understand what, what's happened? And yet Jesus is taking time to go there and talk to that lady and tell her that he had salvation for her, that she could be saved that he had brought salvation to her. And she was a Samaritan. She wasn't a Jew. You know? So here's the woman here. She's saying, you know, and it goes on to say here, go call her husband. She's, that was five husbands. Look at verse 19. Then the woman said, I perceive there are the prophet. I, 
Verse 20, our fathers worshiped at this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men are to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour is cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Uh, and he goes on to say here, I'm going to read, I'm going to finish reading here. What ye uh, know, uh, I'm sorry, ye know not what we worship for the, the uh, salvation is the Jew. Look at verse 23. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers, true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Look at the word spirit. That S is a small S. That's not the Holy Ghost spirit. That's in your own spirit. It says here that true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit or spirited. That is with life. Shall worship him with life and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. And before I go any further, let me just say this. This is the way God wants us to worship him. Wants us to worship him with spirit, with life. Don't say, let's all worship God. Thank you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. Don't do that. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Lord. Amen. With life. The Father seeketh such to worship him like that. And that's why... Uh, Jesus was pointing this out to her. God is a spirit. Look at that 24th. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. The little s again. That is with spirit. With spirit. That is with, with our own spirit lively. We must worship him, must worship him in spirit and in truth. Praise the Lord. Thank God for the truth as well. So when we have the truth and we have the spirit of God in us and then we worship him spiritually or with, with life and fervently, praise the Lord, that's what God would have us to do. Now, one little word here. I'm going to throw this in for free. Don't let anybody shut your worship down. Amen. I'm serious. Don't let anybody shut your worship down. Amen. You worship the Lord. Oh, yes, sir. You, you know, people go to ball games and shout and jump up and yell and holler till they're hoarse. Right. Then they go to church and sit there like a little mouse. What right. as they can be. Lay the cigar on the banister outside, come back and pick it up at church and it's still burning, still hot, hadn't even gone to ashes yet, it hadn't even been that long. And they're so quiet in church and they think, oh, you got to be quiet as a mouse in church. But when you go to a ball game, oh, you can cheer and holler and worship. The Lord would have us to worship him in spirit and in truth, in spirit, our spirit with life. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Well, God is good. And, uh, Look at verse 39. Let me go on with my basic thought here. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto Jesus, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. And many, uh, many more believed because of his words. Now, I'm just pointing to tell show you here that Jesus knew he had to go through Samaria and he chose a woman who was an outcast from all the other women because she had had five husbands and the man she was living with wasn't her husband and the women didn't want to have anything to do with her. You'll get the picture. They all gathered around early around the well and when she knew that no women were down there, she'd go down there late in the morning and get her water so she wouldn't have to hear all the yakety yak from the women because she knew she was an outcast. But Jesus loved her and talked to her and witnessed to her and told her that she could have this water of life. 
And she went and told the people in the city, and they all came out. And in the book of Acts, that's where Philip, or was it Philip, I think, went there, praise the Lord, and preached there, and the whole city turned to God and was saved. I'm just telling you folks that this is how the Lord planned to turn this world upside down with the gospel, praise the Lord, is that if we would love the unsaved and reach out to them, not giving up our salvation, not giving up the walk in, 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 that we have in walking in God and wonderful, the wonderful truth that God's given us, but that we might love people to reach out to them that they might be saved. I, uh, I know my time's getting away and I don't have a lot of time here, but Zacchaeus was another example. I, uh, I won't go to Zacchaeus, but he's a little fellow that Jesus is gonna pass by and he climbed up in a sycamore tree. This is that next example that I won't go to there because of time running out. But Zacchaeus was a little old short guy, but he was a, he was a publican. That means he was not a Republican. He, he was a publican. He was a tax collector. And uh, he would t- collect money from the Jewish people because he was Jewish. And he would give it then to the Roman government. And they would pay him a good income to do that. And these publicans were hated. These tax collectors of the Jewish tax collectors were hated by the Romans and they called them the worst sinners there were. And Zacchaeus was one of them. And he wanted to see Jesus and he climbed up down there around Galilee, not Galilee, I'm sorry, uh, Jericho. He climbed up in this sycamore tree and when Jesus passed by, Jesus got under the tree and looked up, said, Zacchaeus, come down from where you are. I'm going to your house to eat today. I'm going to your house to eat. I'm going to go to your house to eat. He said that. And all of those scribes and the Pharisees all walking around trying to catch him in his words. They said, oh, doesn't he know he's a sinner? And that's what, that's what they said about him. They said, look, at, I'm just going to read the verse of scripture where it says that they said that. They said to him, when he said, I'm going to your house to eat. And uh, he said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste, came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. Well, of course, because Jesus came to save the sinner. Thank God. Hallelujah. He came to my house one time. I wasn't worthy of it, but he came to my house. He came to your house. I don't mean it may not have been a building, but it was your life, you know. He came to your house. Praise God. He came to my house because... He loved us, hallelujah. And that's what Jesus passed along to us. Now, I'm just gonna mention this and uh, this is what the Lord gave us, praise the Lord, us being the church. This is what the Lord gave us that we might change the world. And uh, this was his example of love and he gave instructions to us from Jesus. Look at Matthew 5 and 43 and 44. Matthew 5, 43 and 44. My time is running out, and I'll do this very quickly here. Uh, yeah, let me get to it. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemies. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you. Boy, look at that. That's powerful. This is what Jesus was telling the disciples. And he was telling that to anybody that would listen, all those disciples following him. And you know, at one point, they all sort of backed away from him, except the 12, they stayed in there, you know. But Jesus said some things that they said, this is hard to, to receive. Verse 44 says here, and I say unto you, love your enemies. What? Love your enemies? 
bless them that curse you. You be somebody curse me, I bless them. That's what he says. Do good to them that hate you. They hate me, I do good to them. Whoa. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And ye may be called the children of your Father which is in heaven. I'm just trying to point out to you here, folks, that Jesus was trying to tell them, this is what you need to do that you might be what I was to the people when I was on earth. And if you will do this, you will extend the love of God in this world and it will turn the world upside down and change the world like nothing else will. It's not the Muslim approach, which is strap on the sword and go forth and conquer and kill, kill and conquer. That's their approach. That was, you know that. Started in 623 A.D. and everything. But the Christianity is not that. It's love people, love people, love people. And I know that we put ourselves on the line doing it, but the Lord says, don't worry about that. I'll make it up to you. Verse 14, 614, for if you love, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly father forgive your trespasses. So there's many scriptures here involved in these uh, verses of scripture here that lets us know that we are to love our neighbors. And there's all kinds, there's many scriptures here. If you look at these scriptures here, I don't even have time to read them. That's just Matthew these, all of these verses here are powerful verses. Here's one that I hadn't even touched and I will never have time to touch it. 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter and the word charity is the love of God. That's what the word charity means. It comes from the Greek word agape and it means the love of God, not just love. There's all kinds of love. There's love in family. There's love, you know, parents have for kids. Love, you know, a man and wife have love for each other. And then there's the love of God. Which is, and that's agape. And that's what charity is, the word charity. The word charity that we know of, it means to help the poor. Uh, that's the, that word come, has come out of that word charity and is used in that fashion. But the word charity in that first 13 is, is, read that sometimes. It's a powerful. It says, though we have all the gifts and we don't have charity, it profiteth nothing. You can have all the spiritual gifts. You can have all the spiritual gifts. The 12th chapter of Matthew gives you all the spiritual, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians gives you all the spiritual gifts. Praise God for all of them. Yeah. But he says, above everything else, have charity, have the love of God. What Paul says is that you'll never go wrong in having the love of God in your life. So folks, in just closing here, let me say this here tonight. Whatever we do, let's don't lose the love we have in our hearts. And love the world but don't be a part of the world. Don't love the world, but love the sinners in the world. And don't love their sins, but love the people and help them to find God. And let me just say one other thing, and that is that there's a lot of people out there right now that's looking for something because they know the world's getting crazy. And they're looking for something. And you and I have what they're looking for. They may not know it, but if we can help them to come close to God, come find the Lord, be in a revival, be in church, whatever it is, God will do the rest. Let's stand together and give God the praise. What a great audience you have been. God love you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you so much. We love you so much. Thank you for your word. God, thank you for what you brought us. Thank you for what you gave us. You gave us, Lord, the secret to turn this world upside down. We ask you, Jesus, to bless every one of us here today. Help us to love our neighbors, our friends, our, and our enemies, and all those that persecute, and everything that Jesus taught us, God. We give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name.